Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. There we go. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Where are you? <laughs> I'm in a, a conference room at my work. Um, okay. A 1940s uh, metallic Coca-Cola sign behind me. <laughs> Very cool. It's vintage, so. <laughs> uh-huh. Gosh, you guys are all, both early worms. Patrick Gray, we are so thrilled uh, to have you join us on our podcast today. Um, Patrick is a very good friend of Justin Skizik, and we interviewed Justin uh, a couple months ago. Um, he has something that I know is called mama, mm -hmm. um, for the acronym. And I would slaughter it if I said what it was, but Patrick, I bet you can say what mama is. Yeah. It's called multifocal acquired motor axonopathy. Okay. Yeah. So everybody repeat that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Justin, uh, does not have the ability, uh, to move and care for himself. So right. he is getting full care from, other people and one of those folks not only physically caring for him but emotionally and spiritually caring for him is his good friend Patrick Gray who we get to talk to today. Um, they did a documentary together and you can get the documentary on Amazon um, and you could type in push Inc push Inc dot Pushing.us. Uh, but the documentary, and the documentary is brilliant. And they've also written the book with the same name, I'll Push You. So you can order that through uh, their website or probably on Amazon also. Uh, a second book they've written is Imprints, which is uh, a book about really examining how we want to leave a legacy, leave an example of our lives. Uh, uh, and pass that on to others. How we do that on a daily basis, how we do that with our families, how we do that with our friends. It's a great book. Um, I highly recommend that. And the book that I can't recommend is The Push. Um, it's a children's book and I haven't bought it yet. So, um, but I would still recommend it because I love Patrick and, and, um, <laughs> and Justin. I'm sure it's a great children's book, but I haven't ordered it. Should I? Is it at my level? Are you thinking, Patrick, that I should? I, I'm pretty sure that you, you'll, you'll get something out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Eastern Oregon? Yeah. Kind of your, who are you? Uh, what kind of a family do you come from? What's your spiritual background? Uh, yeah, no, I, I grew up in Ontario, Oregon. I was born and raised there. It's a tiny town of about 12,000 people. Uh, sits right on the Oregon-Idaho border, and uh, it's so far east in Oregon that Oregon doesn't really claim it. It's basically Idaho. Uh -huh. But yeah, I grew up in a, a Nazarene family, um, strong strong faith background. I would say even stronger religious background, if that makes sense. I've In my adult years, I've come to separate the two, uh, and that faith and religion don't always... Um, uh, they, don't, they don't always play well in the sandbox. Uh, right. depending on what kind they of don't religion. always equal the same thing. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, grew up in a Nazarene church. I wouldn't say it was fundamentalist by any means, but very legalistic uh, and you know, lots of rules to follow. And so my, my introduction to faith and God and spirituality was very structured and was not one that, um, that was, I would say, very accepting of questions or doubt. Okay. And, and that's something I wrestled with early on. But I didn't really talk about it because it just wasn't. Was Justin at that church with you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it was the same church. And I would say more of that was my parents than the church. And it wasn't, I mean, I don't think they did anything wrong. It's just, it was the way they were raised it's with, with like the faith that they were brought into. And questions just weren't really a thing that we did. And so, uh, but within that, I became very aware and very knowledgeable, you know, the, the story of the Bible. And I mean, that was kind of my, my spiritual journey in a nutshell, grade school through high school. But also I was a, um, I was a very smart kid, very driven, uh, worked hard from the get, the get go, but also I, I dabbled in a fair amount of drugs uh, in my high school years. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would say not a variety of drugs, just a lot of, a lot of weed. I mean, it is Oregon. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> well, no, yeah. I mean, you're much younger than I am, but that was certainly the culture. As yeah, was it was the culture um, to a certain degree. And there wasn't a lot to do in a town of 12,000 people. It was, you know, drink, smoke weed, or have sex. That's what was happening pretty much with the kids. And I, I chose option one and two, drink and smoke weed. So, uh, and and so that, that definitely kind of pulled me away from my face and... And that whole journey. You ended up at a Nazarene college, correct? I did, yeah. I applied to USC and University of Michigan, got into both. And then I saw how much aid I was going to get. Couldn't afford either. (laughs) And uh, uh, Northwest Nazarene College at the time was the only place that would take me with an application being submitted in July. So that's why I wound up there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so I went there, met my wife, uh, first day of orientation. So you went to the Nazarene College, not so much because of the spiritual aspect of not what at the all. college was, but no, okay, not that was all. not even on my radar. Okay. <laughs> it was, I should probably do this college thing. I can get okay. some money because I went to a Nazarene church. There was no pure motivation there whatsoever, okay. <laughs> unfortunately. So yeah, I'm learning a lot about you because I figured you were the, you know, good boy from Eastern Oregon who followed all the rules and went to a Nazarene college. So. No, I mean, I, I did follow all the rules to a certain degree, but not for the right reasons, I guess. I, I followed most of the rules, you know, uh, but I wound up where I was supposed to be. So when did all this knowledge about God and faith become something that was more, I would say a lot of that happened at, at NNU, uh, one, my wife at the time, uh, well, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, she just gave me an ultimatum, like, look, you're going to stop smoking weed, we're not going to date. So I stopped. And so, you know, we, we dated, uh, you know, pretty much the entire time through our, my, my college years. And I remember uh, when Brennan Manning actually came to campus uh, uh, and I couldn't get enough of his, his preaching. I would say more storytelling than preaching. Had he written Ragamuffin Gospel by Rag, that? Yeah, he, he had written Ragamuffin Gospel. I picked it up and devoured it. I, devoured, I, I read it like, in, like a day and a half. Yeah. Uh, 
And it was just this new perspective that I had never been offered on Jesus, on what the gospel is, on this really a lot of the mystery and the magic that is God. Um, and I say magic because I really don't use a better word. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, magic God, don't say that. But magic just implies it's something that we see that we don't understand. We can't explain it. Right. And God is full of magic. He's full of wonder. Mystery. Love. So much mystery. Like, like I started to identify a lot with the Christian mystics, I would say. We're like, okay, there is this mystery. We can't figure it out. Like, like to say we have yet figured out is really arrogant. Mm. Um, and so let's just embrace the lack of knowledge and press into the wonder. And where is that going to take us in relationships, mm. love and grace and mercy and compassion? And that's, that's what I was attracted to. And so that's where the this, this switch kind of flipped to a certain degree. And so then I started getting into different, uh, different um, uh, uh, authors. Um, after, after college, I really enjoyed Rob Bell. I know he's very controversial, but I would say that he actually probably put me on a path uh, that has brought me closer to Jesus than I ever was mm-hmm. because of the invitation to question, the invitation to wrestle, the invitation to doubt. And that really, if we embrace what scripture says, like we're kind of called to do that. Like we, we shouldn't just take it at face value. We should dig in and, and really explore. And so that's what I did is I started reading, you know, one book that really, really just rocked my world was Jesus Wants to Say Christians. Um, that and Sex God, those two books just blew my mind. Uh, yeah. And both Bill. Those are both Bill. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of began um, my path and it's a path I'm on now, even today of deconstruction. Uh, and not, I mean, I say that some people are like, yes, let's, let's deconstruct things. Other people are like, ah, don't say that word. It's so terrifying. But for me, deconstruction implies that there's a reconstruction. We're taking things apart, trying to understand how they work and put them back together in a way that makes more sense. Right. And there are certain parts to my faith as a child that didn't make sense that I had thrown out. I, I had no place for that in my journey. And I would argue that no one does. Um, if we really press into what Jesus calls us to. And so I would argue, or I would say that I've probably gone through, I don't know, a dozen or more periods of deconstruction in my faith. And while I get more, I say frustrated, um, sometimes disillusioned with specifically the American church, every time I fall more and more in love with Jesus. Hmm. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I'm okay with that, but that as a pastor, former pastor, sure, makes me sad. And that, yeah, I completely understand what you're talking about. And for yeah. those, we, we might be talking to people who don't know a lot about deconstruction and what you're talking about there. Right. And, and some of the challenge that I initially had as I was reading that word was no, I mean, deconstruction, mm-hmm. this isn't good. And right. the reason I was coming from that is because I was not raised in a spiritual household. So there was nothing to deconstruct from 18 years of doctrinization of some kind. Right. Um, uh, but now I do understand. Describe what you mean by deconstruction to help people yeah. just a little bit here. Sure. Yeah, that absolutely. Not abandoning. It is not abandoning your faith. I think one of the best, best examples I can think of is, but I think of a kid, like we have, I loved Legos. I mean, I had so many Legos as a kid. 
And we would have the houses and the cars, the trucks that you could build by following all the steps, right? But there were times I'm like, no, that's not, I'd take it apart. And I would make it, in my mind, better. The same pieces at play here, but I would take it apart to see what they had done. And I put it back together with just a little bit different perspective. And so for me, that's very much what deconstruction should be. It's not taking everything apart just to throw away pieces. Now, are there pieces that should be thrown away? Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, when we, when we look at, at a, um, a gospel that promotes division and hate, like that, that's, not, that, that's not what the gospel was written for. If, if, so let's table that for a second. Let's jump into Matthew, like Matthew 22, Matthew 25, which is those are two of my favorite parts of scripture is Matthew 22 when, you know, when Jesus is, is being challenged, right? You know, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So one, brilliant, like, okay, I'm not gonna give you one answer. I'm gonna give you two, because I'm gonna make sure that you know that these are just about on the same level. And there's something really important that Jesus is doing here, because the next phrase he says is, and all the teachings of the law and prophets depend on these two, right? So everything that, that, that these guys have, have ever learned in the Torah and that is their faith has to be measured up. Are we loving God and are we loving others? And he jumped to Matthew 25, where Jesus paints the most amazing picture of what it looks like to love God. And it goes to the sheep. Now we have this picture of loving God is loving others. If you're not loving people, you can't love God and vice versa. They are mutually inclusive. They cannot, like, they cannot be extrapolated from one another. Right. And yet we have a lot of faith um, circles or say religious circles or kind of fundamentalist approaches to things that it's one or it's the other. Often it's we can love God, but man, loving God means these people are out. We have to, there's, it promotes a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean when I say there are certain pieces that should be taken out and never put back in. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of them but they're there and those pieces are toxic because they create a fracture in the structure of whatever you're trying to create. And pretty soon that poison affects something that's foundational or maybe it affects a certain ministry or maybe it affects, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it shouldn't be there. And yet in every religious circle, I would argue every church there's going to be some degree of that. Because we're human. I know that I have that crap in my life. There's no question that I don't. And that's why I think deconstruction is such an important thing. I deconstruct my, my relationship with my wife and my kids. I sit down and I take it apart. What are the elements here? Where is the hard stuff coming from? What am I doing? What part of me is making this not work as well as it could? That's not a bad thing. As long as you're looking at a way to put it back together and make it better. Right. That's what I mean by deconstruction. Yeah, thank you. That's beautiful. And and I hope that um, because we haven't brought that up on this podcast yet. So that's why. And that doesn't mean that you're throwing out the gospel. That doesn't mean you're throwing out a God who is creator, who loves humanity and wants us to know his love. I'm so Um, glad you said that, because I would I mean. I would argue that my love of scripture is stronger now than it's ever been mm. um, because of that mystery and the wonder and trying to, I mean, I'm not trying to have an answer, but just trying to know a little more. Yep. Uh, and I think that, I mean, deconstruction probably isn't the best word, but it's what we have. 
reimagining, reevaluating, re, you know, there are probably other words that I'd like more than deconstruction, but um, thank you. That was beautiful. Yeah, you bet. Um, so your relationship with Justin continued throughout all of those years of childhood and high oh, school. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we, we went to the same uh, same church, different grade schools, but we were, you know, in junior okay. high and high school together. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, you went quite a distance apart. He went to San Diego. Is that correct? Yeah, he was in Point Loma, San Diego, and I stayed in the Northwest in and uh, So it was in high school, he first started having some symptoms. Um, out of that, uh, you are so intellectual and you ask questions and that comes out in the book, that comes out in the doc. You're, you are an examiner. You actually probably should have been um, NCIS. Oh, uh, crime scene investigator. Was <laughs> that Stanford? Yeah, that would have been a great job for you because I mean, you just ask questions and examine things. Mm -hmm. So, what was that like for you when your good friend started limping? Did you examine yeah. that, or did you just kind of ah, it's his thing at that point? It was so um, it was so minor at the time. You know, I mean, the, the onset was, I mean, I guess the, the car accident was just shy of his 16th birthday. And, but he was able to, to still function fairly well. Okay. So there wasn't really anything beyond that to even wonder about in my mind, you know. Right. And of course, he goes off to college and then it progresses. Then soon he has to have two races because both sides are you know, being affected. We know something else is going on. Just not sure what's what. going on with you at that point as his good you friend. Know, at that point in time, it wasn't it, it wasn't something I wrestled with a whole lot. He would keep me updated, um, but his his demeanor and his spirits were just so positive that it didn't really affect me in a negative way. Um, he still had his hands. He still had. He still walked. You know, I, I would kind of re, like as Justin reframes things. You know, he's looks at the positive side of things. Well, I can still do this. I can still do this. I can still do this. That's kind of the road that I went down and didn't. It wasn't something that I really examined a lot until it got bad. He called okay. me to tell me he lost his hands. That that just leveled me, and that would have been in 2010. Okay. Um, when he lost his hands. Yeah. Uh, and that's when, I mean, the happy-go-lucky Justin kind of disappeared for a while. Right. You know, he went down a deep, dark hole, and I kind of created my own. And that's, that, that's when my first, I would say, I, I wrestled and I had my doubt and I had my questions off and on through my adult life. But when in 2010 when that happened, that's when, that's the only time I could say I've been truly angry with God. Um, and I mean, when I say angry, I, I remember yelling at him in my home, yeah. no one's home. I remember yep. breaking things. I yeah. remember it was, I, I, I was, I was filled with rage. I always tell people, please yell at God because you know yeah. what? God can take it. He can take it. He can take it. <laughs> God yeah. can take it. So were you both married at that point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Babies yet for you guys? Uh, yeah, Cambria was born in 2005. Yeah, all three. Wow. Okay, so just for everybody else, both of them have three children, and they're all named Jeff, which is very nice that they named them after me, even though they hadn't met me yet. But um, 
Uh, I'm sure it's confusing in the household when you're calling all your children, Jeff, but um, it's really weird. Just call <laughs> one, two, and three, and it works better. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is really hard. You're really smacked. You're in a dark place yourself. Mm-hmm. Your friend is in a dark place, and you write or speak about going down and giving his wife a break for a week or two. I don't remember what it is. So, long weekend, yeah. Share a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I had a nursing background. You know, I was a caregiver already, and so I, I knew how to take care of people. You know, effectively when they couldn't move, how to transfer that kind of thing. And I had showered people before, and it was kind of a natural thing. Hey, can you come down and give my wife a break? I mean, she's, I mean, Kirsten, Justin's wife, is his primary caregiver, and she's having to shower him every day, and everything just and looks she's so She's a different. nurse also, but she nurse has also, three yeah. kids and now a husband with a lot of yeah. And so getting away, you know, having some respite is important. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll come down. So, I mean, I went down there and I remember the first time that I gave him a shower, you know, and helped him pee. It's like, well, this is, this is new territory for our friendship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we just, we just laughed a lot. Like this is, this is our new norm. This is what it's going to be like. Let's talk this through, figure it out. Yeah. And I would say that level of trust in a friendship is something that few people get to experience. Right. And not everyone gets to experience that gift. Yeah. And while it's a hard road, it is a beautiful one because yeah. of that level of, of commitment to one another. Right. Um, and, and that was my first kind of foray into that was that shower. Right. Yep. There's been so many showers and bathroom experiences and you name it. And we'll, I cannot wait to hang out with you on the Camino because there's so many stories <laughs> that share. They're so ridiculous. Well, so not know. to be crude and Susan, I don't know if you want to cut this out, but um, uh, Toma and Gil and I were talking. I said, oh yeah, I need to get back to REI because I need to get a collapsible pee bottle. And yeah. when I unpacked my uh, wheelchair, this week there was a collapsible pee bottle in it already. I thought, Oh man, I forgot. We bought that together. We all forgot that we bought that together. So we definitely had those jokes of, I mean, we haven't been there in our friendship yet, but it might be easier than getting me out of the chair. Um, Yeah. So there's a new point to your friendship and you traveled together as families. You traveled overseas together as he's in a wheelchair, uh, yeah. even after he lost his hands and was in that full electric wheelchair. And then, um, you know, Justin, this great friend of yours, is bored one day and watching television and comes across... Um, Oh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Rick Steves. Rick Steves, uh, traveling Europe and hears about the Camino de Santiago and calls up his friend and says, Hey, you want to do this? Oh, he didn't call me. He waited until we went down there. We're down there for spring break. We, I mean, we've driven thousand plus miles and we come in and kids are out in the back playing. Like we hadn't put suitcases away or anything. Oh, in the front door he's like come here i want to show you something like, so he oh, has okay. some excitement already oh, yeah he'd been waiting for two weeks yeah <laughs> and so with, and I, I mean he had told me he wanted to show me something even and there was, I, had, I was completely blindsided and so we sit down we watch this episode and it finishes up with this you know information about the camino and he just turned to me and he said you want to go across 500 miles of, you know northern spain with me and i said I'll, yeah i'll i'll push you 
Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And we've been talking about doing something together for years. And, uh, you know, like maybe go to Oktoberfest or to you know, something that's, that's in Europe that we could do, navigate, but there's a wheelchair. And then he pulls this out. Like, let, let's do the hardest thing we can do. Yeah. <laughs> that be our trip together. And let's start in St. John so our first day can be over the Pyrenees. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know. So you have quiet times. You have times where the two you are laughing together. You meet different people. Uh read his book, watch the documentary. It's brilliant. Um, but then you get to the cruise de Pharaoh, uh, the iron cross and the man who I think should be on NCIS has a really powerful moment. Yeah. At cruise de Pharaoh. Can you, share what you feel comfortable sharing. No, I can share it all. I, I'm fine with that. But to really appreciate that, I think we got to get some backstory. Um, so at that point in time, I was working as a, a, in, in administration in healthcare. And my job had become pretty... Uh, I had let it get out of hand. It was, it was my own undoing. I'm a very type A driven personality. And so um, for me, safety is what I can control. That's my default. And so uh, as I was getting ready to leave, uh, my coworker, uh, her name is, is, is Becca, Becca Humphreys. She took me aside and said, hey, um, I got something for you. And she put in my hand a little, one of those little uh, prayer coins with an angel embossed in the kind of, it's like a pewter coin. So this, this is a reminder that I'm going to be praying for you on your journey, specifically for your safety. And I didn't understand the irony of that until much later. But I put that in my pocket, took it home, and went into my money belt. And so it was in my money belt, out of my waist, every single day on the Camino. We had no idea what to expect with Cruz de Ferro. Just we'd heard you know, people bring stones, they bring memento, something to set down. Right. But two days prior to Cruz de Ferro, uh, we, had, we had one of our, what we call our um, earbud days. We put our earbuds in, we don't talk. We just time, time in our heads, right? Yep. And the film crew wasn't around, so it was just Justin and I. And it had been probably five hours or so of no talking except for stopping to pee and drink some water. That was it. And we were just in go mode. But there I am. I'm, I'm facing myself. And I face all the past four years of my failures as a father all at once. Mm -hmm. My failures as a husband all at once. The hours that I spent when I could have been at home. The times that I answered phone calls while I'm reading a book to my daughter to put her to bed because I made the position who needed something that was completely trivial, more important than my daughter. And so I'm hit with all these moments and hundreds and hundreds of moments, like a bunch of TVs just all at once, reminding me of all the, the, the situations where I've given my family reasons to doubt my love for them. And I just wept. I just, I just broke down and I just sobbed. So I tell Justin what's going on. We get to the next town and I make a Skype call, hoping my family's up. So, you know, he's in front of you when you're crying yeah. at first. He doesn't know that you're crying. It's no idea. No, your I, I, yeah, I pull his earbuds out and we, I give him a quick, quick low down. And I'm through snot and tears. <laughs> so we get to the town, make the call. Um, my family's up because, you know, it's eight hours earlier here. And, uh, and so they were up. I say hello to my kids. I apologize to them. They're kids. They're super young at that point. Like, we forgive you, dad. We love you. Off they go. <laughs> and it's just my wife and I. And I will never forget this moment 
she closed the door. She could tell something's wrong. My eyes are all bloodshot from tears. And she just asked me, she says, what, what, what's going on? And I'm, I'm like a little, like a, you went know, to the Alberta porches, you know, where I have some Wi-Fi. Strangers right. are all around. There's this crazy person sobbing <laughs> on an iPad. So, oh, but, uh, hey, iPad. I was going to say, is yeah. this FaceTime or but iPad? Yeah, no, it's iPad on Skype. And I, all, what I said to her is that, look, I just want you to just listen to me. Let me say what you need to say, because if you say anything, I'm not going to get through it. So she just sits there and I said, I, I want you to know that I'm sorry for all the times that have broken your heart. And I know there've been many. And she put her finger up, like, I'm gonna say something. Cause I'm like, okay. And all she said was, if you never broke my heart, how would I learn to love you more? Mm. I, I lose it a little bit every time telling that story because I think it's the first time that I can point to a specific moment, place, person where I had a little bit more understanding of what unconditional love and how God loves me, what it looks like. And that grace that she gave me, that forgiveness, that just, that love that just, it had no, no limit. Right. Um, Like, how do I press more into that? How do I offer that same thing to my kids? So then for the next several days, that's all I'm thinking about is that conversation with my wife. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And so when we get to Cruz de Ferro and still a lot of quiet time in those days after that yeah, call. So, Oh, ton of quiet time. Yeah. But okay. we get to Cruz de Ferro as for the listeners, if you don't know, you know, it's, it's all it is is a wood pole with a, Iron Cross at the top. Christopher <laughs> literally means Iron Cross. Wasn't quite oh, as is. dynamic as I thought. What's that? It wasn't as dynamic as I thought it was going to be. No, no, not book. at all. But the experience yeah. was dynamic. The yeah. cross was not so much. So you see it in the distance. You come and you're like, that's it? Like, <laughs> I had a thought. Like, okay. But you're walking, you're closer and closer, and you see literally millions of stones left by pilgrims at the base of this cross. And it's like, oh, there is so much pain, struggle, joy, you name it. So much emotion represented right here from so many people. And there's an invisible barrier. You can't see it, but you can feel it. You step across there and you were silent. And you realize that this is a holy place. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no other way to describe it. It's, a, it's holy ground. And that's when it struck me. I'm like, I know why Becca gave me that coin. Try and get this without losing it. So I was thinking about that story, you know, that that time with Donna and 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 really what I had done. I had created that whole situation to cause all this heartache. And it had come from it, it rest rested in that idea or that that perverted sense of safety, that control. And so Becca had given me a coin, unbeknownst to her, that represented safety for her in her mind. But now for me, it was, it was I can take this thing and I can, I can walk up that hill and set that coin down and say, I'm not going to be safe anymore. Not if this is what it looks like. Yeah. And I can say with, I, mean, I, I, have, my, I have my moments where I fall. There's no question. But my life has been 1,000% better since that moment in every way, in my relationships with my kids, my wife, my friends. Um, 
when I was listening to your story about control, um, that control sounded like it translated mostly in your job in the medical field. Um, was that more than that? And when the Camino was over, how did that change? Did you let go of your job? Did you? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I left that job altogether. Uh, and that job was one that um, my boss at the time, he was very, very encouraging that, yeah, you need to go. He wanted me to stay because I was good at my job. Um, but I lived and breathed it. And that's not a good way to, to, to function in your work. You know, um, you need to live, live and breathe life in your family. And, 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 you know, just, it, it just wasn't healthy. And yeah, that, that control piece definitely translated into my, how I parented, um, and certain aspects of my, my marriage. And so I took that, that whole kind of mentality of just hold things loosely, uh, to everything. Everything and so it's I've I mean I'm no longer in the medical field. Justin, I traveled and spoke for years. Uh, now I, I write. I'm, I'm a copywriter at a creative agency, so I get to use some of that God gifted me with the skill to write. That's what I do every day, and I love it. It's so much fun. Um, and with my kids, I have much stronger relationships. And, you know, with my, my my marriage has never been better. Um, and I would attribute the majority of that to just letting go of that control, honestly, and, and, and spending more energy and time and focus on trusting others to do the right thing, as opposed to me making sure they do what I want them to do. <laughs> Amen. I love it. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. And so. You've become a nice enough guy to let me go on the Camino with you. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the biggest change, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's Cruz de Ferro, especially after coming to the Mesetta, is we, we talked about it earlier, is it, it's a magical place. It's mystery, yeah. it's 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 mystical and it is permeated with the presence of God. So uh when you got to Osobrero, Osobrero is this tiny little hill um mm -hmm. with um zigzagging trail that has boulders and roots the size of the redwood forest and um when i was there people actually weeping on the side of the trail um wow. and other people reaching out and saying take my hand and you know i wasn't around anybody i was in relationship when i did osifero so it really felt like this group of people that were like we're going to make it up this thing. Now we didn't have to carry, but we all carried each other. So to speak, mm -hmm. you literally went through a carry experience and a let go experience. Can, you, can you talk about that? Yeah, Jared? very quickly to give you a snapshot. So, you know, Sabaro is, it's, it's not a, not a super high mountain, but it's steep. It's very steep. And uh, probably the, the most, the most difficult section on the trail next to the Pyrenees. But we had, we'd agreed to meet a few pilgrims uh, on that day to help us up, thinking that, you know, a couple more helping hands would be great. But when we get there, there's 12 pilgrims that are waiting for us. Did you know that when you sat down for lunch with them or it, was it when you got We sat down with just Joe and Richard and we just got food and, okay. and sundries and then we're going to have to re leave and all these people stand up. We're like, who are these That's people? That's when you knew it was everybody. That's who we know. And we're like, oh yeah. my God, wow. this is wild. Wow. And so there's all these strangers 
made friends in a matter of minutes and they take off with, with Justin. In fact, Joe, this kid that we'd met, you know, a few weeks prior that showed up to help us out. He got in my face and Joe's not a big dude, but he got in my face and he says, you're not pushing, at least not for a while. And he took the reins and they took off and I fell behind and I couldn't keep up. And I watched these 12 people soon to be 17 because we picked up more individuals on the hill. Mm-hmm. Do what I what I thought I was going to do, but I couldn't. Yeah. I set out thinking that I was going to push Justin from St. John to Santiago, and really, in a lot of ways, he pushed me out of that that mentality, out of that control. You know, a lot of other events that happened to help facilitate that. Yeah. But our relationship really became one where, while I was physically pushing him, he was emotionally pushing me. Right, and and I kind of saw the culmination. I had experienced Cruz de Ferro. I had had this moment with my wife. All these things where this evolution is just unfolding in, inside of me, this kind of spiritual, mental evolution. And then I watch these people do what I can't do. Yeah. And I get to jump in and help, but I am not by any means at the helm on this climb. Right. And it takes six people at any given time to carry Justin, two in front, two in the middle, and two in the back. Yeah. And we, we carry him up the mountain. And to witness that, and I start thinking, okay, this, this is what the church is supposed to be like, right? right. This, is, this is the church that I want. This is, the, this is how Jesus calls us to live out. I want that to be my faith. So Nothing. that informs your reconstruction. There. And very much has propelled me further down this path of wrestling and putting things back together that I've taken apart just to make sure that they're working the way they should. Yep. Playing with the Legos. I like that. And Legos. Like that. So, Patrick Gray, thank you for doing this. I have loved hearing what deconstruction has created in a man who knows he's loved by God and shares that love of God with others so beautifully. So, thank you for doing that personally, for, um, uh, the accessibility trips for all the ways that you're doing that. It's an absolute pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live well.